Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kitchen Garden Magazine offers down-to-earth advice to make sure you get the tastiest produce from your plot. Packed with hints and tips on growing your own fruit and veg, it's perfect for beginners and experts alike. We have a very special subscription offer for our podcast listeners. Get the printed magazine and free seeds delivered to your door, an interactive digital version for tablets and smartphones, access to a 10-year back-issue archive and exclusive content on the KG Subs Club website. And all this can be yours for just £4.99 a month. An absolute bargain. Go to www.classicmagazines.co.uk forward slash KG264 for all the details. Coming up, in question time, we answer your gardening queries and then we take a trip to Somerset to see the old walled garden of Ston Easton. But first, we look at the jobs for the month. Jobs for the month. Tasks for your vegetable patch in April by Martin Fish. Ten-minute jobs. Sort canes. Check garden canes and sort them out into the various lengths to make sure you have enough for use through the summer months. Long canes that are starting to get past their best can often be trimmed down to make perfectly good short canes for small plants. Check asparagus. From early April, start checking the asparagus bed for signs of growth. The cutting season traditionally starts on April the 23rd, St George's Day, but in mild weather, spears can start to push through a week or two earlier. Start cutting when the spears are 15 centimetres or 6 inches tall. Feed soil. April and May are the main months for sowing vegetable seeds outside and the soil needs to be prepared in advance. To make sure the plants have a good supply of nutrients through the growing season, feed the soil before sowing with a general balanced fertiliser. Prepare for sowing. Spring is a busy time and the more you can prepare in advance, the better. Take a little time to sort out seed packets into sowing times. It's also well worth writing a label for each packet to save time and the hassle of writing labels outside. On the veg patch. Tasks this month. Harvest spring greens. 
Spring greens that were sown from seed last August or September should be making good growth now and just about ready to pick. You can basically pick and eat them at any stage of growth that you want to. Early in the season they are green and leafy, but by April and May the cabbages will have started to develop a loose heart. Either way, they taste delicious. Clear leeks from plot. Leeks are just about at the end of their season now, and although some late varieties go into May, I like to start clearing leeks from the plot now to make room for new summer crops, which in my rotation system are root crops. These late leeks, however, are still perfectly good to eat, and some are turned into delicious soup and others sautéed in butter before being frozen. Pick purple sprouting broccoli. Purple sprouting broccoli, fresh from the garden, is always welcome at this time of the year. Sowing to harvesting is almost a year, but the wait is worth it. Start to pick the purple immature flower heads as soon as they are large enough to eat, and keep picking regularly through the spring to encourage even more side shoots to develop. Plant asparagus. Asparagus plants take a couple of years to settle in, but once established, they will produce tender spears for many years. Now is the ideal time to plant while the soil is moist and starting to warm up. One-year-old crowns can be planted in well-prepared, free-draining soil. The long roots should be spaced out in a trench, and the crowns covered over so that the buds are a few inches below the surface. New shoots will grow in early summer, but these should not be cut. Instead, they should be allowed to grow into tall, ferny foliage to help build up the plant. Through their first summer, water the plants in dry weather. Sow peas in flat-bottomed drills. Main crop and mange two peas can all be sown directly into the garden now, where they should soon germinate and start to push through the soil. I always prefer to grow this way, as when they are started off in trays or gutters, I find they never seem to establish and grow as well as when sown straight into the soil. I simply take out a wide, shallow drill using a spade that is about three to four centimetres or one to one and a half inches deep, with a flat base. The peas can then be sown evenly on the base of the drill. I usually space them by hand about 7.5 to 10 centimetres or 3 to 4 inches apart in all directions before covering them over with soil and lightly firming. Hoe and feed strawberry bed. Strawberry plants growing outside in the garden will be starting to make new growth now that the weather is warming up and the days are longer. Give them a boost by sprinkling a little general fertiliser between the plants and hoe it into the surface of the soil. The hoeing will also chop off any seedling weeds that have started to grow, helping to keep the strawberry bed weed-free. Check apples for canker. Apple canker is a fungal disease that causes dead and sunken areas on branches which eventually girdle and kill the branch. The fungal spores enter through a wound or damage caused by woolly aphids. It is worth checking trees to look for small cankers that have developed and, where possible, cut the branch off back into healthy wood. The cut should then be treated with a wound paint 
to seal it. Potting blueberries. Blueberries are an ideal fruit for growing in containers, and if watered well and fed through the summer, they should produce a good crop of plump, tasty berries. The main reason for growing them in containers rather than the garden is because they require acid soil conditions to grow well. If your soil is acidic and rhododendrons flourish, blueberries should be fine planted directly into the garden. In neutral or alkaline soils, they will really struggle and are always best grown in pots of ericaceous compost. Young plants can be potted at this time of the year into a container several inches wider than the pot they were bought in. Through the summer, water regularly and feed with an ericaceous fertilizer to encourage plenty of new growth. Although self-fertile, when they are cross-pollinated by another variety of blueberry, they produce more berries. So it pays to grow two or three plants. Potatoes under straw. Potatoes are good to grow, but they can be hard work, especially if you grow lots in the traditional way. The soil needs to be dug over, then the tubers need planting out, and the top growth earthed up to form ridges. And finally, the potatoes need lifting in early autumn. Hard work. Growing potatoes under straw is a very easy way to grow all types of potatoes, especially main crop varieties, and the results can be very good. I first grew potatoes this way about 25 years ago with a group of students when I was a lecturer, but the method is much older. The ground preparation is simple and involves no digging at all. Rake the soil to level it and pick off any weeds. Seed potatoes should be chitted in the normal way, and instead of planting them into the soil, simply sit them on the surface so they are in contact with damp soil. I space them approximately 30 to 35 centimetres or 12 to 14 inches apart in all directions. Cover the potatoes with a fluffed up blanket of straw about 15 to 20 centimetres or 6 to 8 inches high and to this I then sprinkle a few handfuls of general fertiliser to supply nutrients when the potatoes start to grow. This is followed by a watering to make sure the straw is thoroughly damp down to soil level. Finish off by adding a couple of inches of fresh grass clippings on top of the straw. This seals in the moisture and prevents the straw from blowing away. A word of warning, don't use grass clippings from a lawn that has been treated with weed killer. After a few weeks, the potatoes will grow through the straw and grass clippings. In dry weather, give the area an occasional water to keep everything moist, and as the potato stalks grow, add more grass clippings when you mow the lawn. This blocks out light to the developing tubers below. If slugs are a problem, you will need to control them, but otherwise there is very little to do until the potatoes are ready to harvest. Do it now. Plant onion sets out into the garden in ground that has been raked and fertilised. Space the sets around 15 centimetres or 6 inches apart and push or plant them onto the soil so the tip is just visible. Apricots and peaches in flower will benefit from a little help in the pollination department. This is done simply by using cotton wool or an artist's paintbrush to stroke the open flowers to transfer pollen from one flower to another. 
Continue to plant potatoes as the weather warms up. Start with first earlies and towards the end of the month, plant main crop varieties. If the weather turns dry after you've sown seeds in drills, use a watering can with a fine rose to water the soil to prevent it drying out. Start sowing tender vegetables such as courgettes, marrows, sweet corn, beans and cucumbers in a greenhouse or polytunnel where it's a little warmer and protected. Sow now. Salad leaves, lettuce, broad beans, radish, peas, carrots, parsnip, onions, leeks, beetroot, summer cabbage, calabrese, sprouting broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, leeks, spinach, tomatoes, peppers and dwarf beans under cover. Plant now. Shallots, onion sets, potatoes, Jerusalem artichokes, asparagus, lettuce, fruit bushes and strawberries. Harvest. Leeks, parsnips, Swiss chard, kale, spring greens, purple sprouting broccoli, spring cauliflower, forced rhubarb. From store. Apples, potatoes, onions, shallots and dried beans. In the Greenhouse with Joyce Russell. Sow and plant in April. Sow sweet corn in pots deep enough for long roots. Sow pumpkins, squash and courgettes for planting indoors and out. Sow extra cucumbers and basil in case earlier sowings fail. Plant out tomatoes at the end of the month. Sow French beans both climbing and dwarf. And keep sowing salad, spinach etc. for a constant supply. April is all about keeping up with the plan. There's sowing, potting on and taking care of larger plants. This is the month when so much is possible. If you want to try a new thing, then give it a go. Buy in small plants if you don't raise your own. Keep tender plants warm and get beds prepared for planting out. Things change a lot from the start of the month to the end of it. Stay observant. Keep busy and be at your green-fingered best. Fabulous fruit. Plums. Plum trees can do very well under cover if your structure is large enough or, for smaller greenhouses, if you grow a small variety. This kind of protection is useful if you garden in a cold, wet or windy part of the country where a greenhouse can help create the ideal environment. Protected growing also helps avoid problems with the diseased silverleaf. Choose a self-fertile variety on dwarf rootstock and for small structures choose a container tree that can be moved out of the greenhouse for the warmer months. There is a patio version of Victoria available that grows up to 1.2 metres or 4 foot tall. Plant bare-rooted trees in late autumn in deep, rich soil. Pruning is important to keep the tree to a small size, but only do this in the summer months. Cucumbers Choose all-female varieties if you want to avoid bitter fruit. These plants can be tricky when small, and they are prone to root rot if compost is too damp and too cold. 
Keep at 15 degrees Celsius or 59 degrees Fahrenheit if you can. Water little and often, and don't worry too much if some portions of the root ball are on the dry side. Pot plants on into 20 centimeter or 8 inch pots as soon as you can, and go bigger again if plants are growing fast. You can breathe a sigh of relief when large plants get roots into their final home, but don't rush to do this before May if April is a cold month. Harden off. If you move plants from heat to cold without hardening them off first, then the shock can be disastrous. Hardening off can take a week or more. Move plants out of the propagator by day and put them back in at night for a start. Then leave them in an unheated box covered with bubble wrap for a few nights. Push the limits out a little each day until plants are acclimatized to greenhouse temperatures. Watch out for tender plants on cold nights. It's hard to choose the right point to plant out tomatoes, cucumbers, French beans, and so on. The idea is to get them planted early in order to produce early crops, and so they can flourish with a more extensive root run. The problem is that low temperatures can kill tender plants, or their cropping potential can be harmed. Cover or wrap vulnerable plants on any cold night. A sack or large bag with a peg to hold it in place makes a good little tent for a tomato plant. This may seem like a lot of work, but it is only for a week or two. Peas to pick. These always seem like the first new treat of the year. They're so fresh, vibrant, and juicy, in spite of growing slowly through the winter months. Keep picking pods if you want the plants to produce more. As soon as seeds mature into starchy balls, the plant will think that its job is done. Pick flat pods of mange too and eat the lot. Podding peas are left until just big enough to enjoy shell from the pod. Soak the subsoil. Soil should never be dry when it comes to sowing or planting out. Think of the border soil as a series of layers, with the best nutritious stuff in a thick layer near the top, and lower layers being the reserves that can hold a moisture. Dig holes or trenches to fill and refill with water. Let all water soak away to top up the reserves, and only when all is good and damp should you think about sowing and planting. Tips from a small greenhouse. Place grow bags directly on the soil for growing tomatoes. Wet the contents of the bag and give it a shake to loosen any lumps before planting two plants per bag at the end of April. Cut slits in the base of the bag so water can drain to avoid a stagnant compost. This also means that roots can grow out of the bottom and reach into the earth underneath. Plant a courgette in a large bucket. This will grow early fruit in the protection of the greenhouse, and it can be moved outdoors when you need the space for other plants. Strawberry plants in pots should have plenty of green fruits. Keep compost damp and use a potash-rich liquid feed every seven days. Plant marigolds just outside the door. They look pretty and will help keep whitefly out of the space. Raise some runner and French bean plants in pots or trays. These can go outdoors when all risk of frost has passed. Top tip. 
Mark planting points. Push a good length stick in the ground next to plants that produce lots of low foliage, like courgettes. It can be hard to tell where to water when the plant is a large sprawling thing, but a stick will always guide you to the best place. Top jobs for April. Prepare the ground and provide support for tomato plants before planting out at the end of the month. Feed strawberry plants that are swelling fruit. Ventilate to keep air moving on warm days. Keep potting on before any plant is root-bound. Replace a torn polythene cover on a hot April day so it stretches to make a good fit. Check watering systems while ground is clear enough to see spray and drip patterns. Question time. Got a fruit or veg problem? Ask KG for help. This month's expert panel. Guy Barter, RHS Chief Horticulturalist. David Patch, Professional Nurseryman, RV Roger Limited. Colin Randall, Vegetable Product Manager at Thompson & Morgan. Mike Thurlow, Advisor to the National Allotment Association. And Andrew Tokley, Seed Purchasing Manager for King Seeds. Cursed with canker. I am writing to you in desperation over a problem I have with parsnip canker. I follow a four-year rotation on my allotment and grow the variety Gladiator F1, which is supposed to be canker-resistant. I am at a loss to know what to do to produce clean white roots with no large discoloured lesions, particularly on the shoulder. I sow the seed in April, towards the end of the month, to achieve better germination, and thin out to four to six inches apart. I usually use blood, fish and bone incorporated into the soil about ten to fourteen days prior to sowing. From Mr Hartill of Devon. Colin says, Parsnip canker is a regular problem, although infections have lessened in recent years, with advice from the seed companies on delaying sowings. I suggest the key sowing time is very late April to mid-May. Canker is much more of an issue in cold, wet soils from early sowings. Parsnips need nitrogen in the seedbed and ample phosphate and potash once well established. Blood, fish and bone types of general fertiliser should be fine. Parsnips do prefer light soils, sandy loams and certainly to be free of any sharp stones to give a better shaped root and smoother skin. Canker, Itisinelia spp, can be linked with other fungal pathogens. Foma, Rhizoctonia for example, to cause problems usually showing on the shoulders as orangey-brown to black lesions. What's gone wrong? I am blessed with the most beautiful loam soil, which has a fairly high pH at 7, which, coupled with being in a limestone area, results in having limestone chippings in the soil, which does not help with the pH. I make my own compost and dig in a 6-inch depth of compost every winter, and of late have added bag sterilised farmyard manure also. I also use Grow More Blood, Fish and Bone or Maxi Crop fertilisers. My garden soil grew very good vegetables for 15 years. But over the last three, the vegetables have reduced in quality. 
Now the leeks never grow thicker than a pencil. The runner beans never grow a glut. Parsnips are very difficult, and this year did not germinate at all. Also, this year my winter beetroot has not produced, and my purple-topped turnips are only pea-sized. Broad beans grow, but never many on a plant, and potatoes never more than a few per root. From Tim Hunt of Peterborough, Mike says, "You seem to have the ideal soil and pH for growing fruit and vegetables. Adding organic matter will build up and maintain the soil structure. All that is then required for plants to grow successfully are water, warmth, and nutrients." Top dress the entire plot each spring with a general fertilizer such as National Growmore or pelleted poultry manure if you are an organic gardener. Carry on adding the organic material; it will help to balance the pH as it breaks down in the soil. Don't allow plants to become stressed. Use liquid seaweed feeds during dry periods; they will be taken up more quickly by the roots. The cocktail of fertilizers could have worked against you by locking up nutrients in the soil. Use crop rotations as part of your soil management. I think that your problem may be caused by the garden's microclimate. In 2016, we suffered low temperatures for a long time, and the soil was slow to warm up. Invest in a soil thermometer. The minimum soil temperature reading should be 8 degrees Celsius or 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Recorded over seven consecutive days before commencing sowing or planting. Heat is key. Last year, I struggled to germinate some Scotch bonnet chili seeds. Can you tell me the best time of year and method to germinate these? From Nikki Robinson of Nottingham. Andrew says. All peppers require a long growing season to allow time to produce ripe fruit. I always sow peppers in a heated propagator from mid-January to mid-February. I like to fill pots with a free-draining seed compost. These are watered with tap water prior to sowing. I sow the seed on the surface of the compost, lightly cover with a fine sprinkling of vermiculite, and place at a minimum temperature. 21 degrees Celsius or 70 degrees Fahrenheit until seeds germinate. If growing even hotter chili types, these can require a temperature of 27 to 32 degrees Celsius or 80 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit to aid germination. Mushroom compost for potatoes. My fellow allotment holders and myself have recently received a supply of mushroom compost. But we have had different advice on how to use it. Are there any plants it should not be used on? Ground where potatoes are to be grown was one of the concerns we have. From Graham Wood via email, Guy says, mushroom compost is weed seed free and fertile, but may be slightly alkaline, high pH. Using two bucketfuls per square meter every other year will markedly improve soil texture. It contains about two percent nitrogen. Growmore contains seven percent, so can replace much fertilizer. It is ideal to incorporate before cabbage, cucumber, and onion family crops, beetroot, tomatoes, spinach, and runner beans, as well as a mulch for asparagus, brassica, and cucumber family crops. 
Unless your supplier can provide an analysis showing it is not alkaline, some batches are neutral. Avoid mulching or digging in before planting fruit. Alkaline batches might promote common scab on potatoes. If you wish to use it, consider scab-resistant varieties: Accent, Balmoral, and Cara, for example, and watering to inhibit infection by the scab organism. Start watering every five days from two weeks after plants emerge for about four weeks, wetting the root zone around the seed tuber. Strawberry leaf nibbler. I grow strawberry plants in pots every year, but last year the ones on my patio developed multiple long slit-like holes in their leaves until the leaves were all but gone. Upon closer inspection, tiny caterpillars could be seen on the plants. What are these caterpillars? And will netting the strawberry plants work as a deterrent next year? From Judy Upton of West Sussex, David says. Sounds like sawfly damage. There are several which will happily munch their way through strawberry foliage. The good news is that they will not affect the fruit. Just apply a balanced fertilizer once in March, and then a high potash fertilizer throughout the growing season to help the plant recover and fruit well. Netting will probably not help. An adult female sawfly is only five millimeters long, and there may be larvae already overwintering in your pots. I would knock the plants out, wash the roots carefully, and repot using fresh, good quality compost. Cover with fleece from late April onwards. Watch out for sawfly. Check for sawfly caterpillars. Pale green with black spots under the leaves of your gooseberry, red currant, and white currant bushes. Pick off larvae or spray with an organic pesticide. Flea beetles. These make lots of little holes in radish leaves, rocket leaves, and young brassicas. Cover plants with insect netting, such as Enviro Mesh, or set up yellow sticky traps. Cabbage root fly. Protect your brassicas from cabbage root fly by fitting collars at the base of the stem. Make your own from cardboard or buy ones commercially available. New ways with an old kitchen garden. Steve Neal visits Ston Eastern House in Somerset and is impressed with what's growing in its kitchen garden and glasshouses. Standing in the saloon of Ston Eastern House, looking through the old glass of the window at the cascaded waters created by Humphrey Repton, you wouldn't think for one moment that you were in a hotel. You would think you were a guest of the family invited to a country house weekend in Somerset, and of course. Ston Easton was a house at one time, the family home of the Rees-Mogg family. The past may be a foreign country where they do things differently, but here some things haven't changed. Every country house always had its kitchen garden to provide it with fresh fruit and vegetables for the table, and in the last four years, Ston Easton House has revived that tradition. Fresh vegetables. Steve Hargreaves, the head gardener, is responsible for the 36 acres of gardens that belong to the hotel, as well as the water features and the Repton landscape. There is also the kitchen garden with its glass houses. 
Four years ago, when we took it over, there was a fair amount of work. We had to cut back brambles and take several feet off hedges. But once we'd done that, we pretty much had a blank canvas, he said. Today things are looking good, with some imaginative modern planting in the borders, and the shape of the original design clearly visible. I ask how many gardeners work there. Two, he said. Me and Dale. Dale Totten is in charge of the vegetable garden. It's got two aims, really. One is to provide fresh vegetables for the hotel restaurant. The other is to provide somewhere interesting for the guests to look around when they walk through the grounds. A seasonal menu. During the summer months until November, the kitchen garden provides 70% of the vegetables for the kitchen. I ask how this works. There is no successional sowing of crops, as there is not the time available. The kitchen doesn't send down a daily order for four lettuces, three onions and a kilo of tomatoes. Instead, the chef comes down to the kitchen garden and Dale advises him on what is available and what will be ready for picking in the near future. The chef helps himself and picks what he needs, so, in a sense, the kitchen garden serves as an inspiration to the kitchen and ensures that the menu is always fresh and seasonal. A wide range of vegetables are grown, both in the outside beds where they are bordered by clipped box hedging and in the extensive series of glasshouses. Here, the different kinds of tomatoes, both heritage and F1 types, really do catch the eye. We have the heirloom variety of green zebra with its distinctive lime green stripes to the bright red of summer frolic and then the plum-shaped orange fizz next to the sun gold. They taste as good as they look and we sample a few of them. Orange perouche is particularly juicy. Dale is always experimenting, trying out new varieties in search of a better taste. And he doesn't pinch out the side shoots, just removing excess foliage at the right point in the growing season. Gigantic vegetables. The glass houses are extensive, and there is plenty of space to grow aubergines. There is also a peach peregrine planted outside, but trained to grow inside the glass house to protect it from the elements. And this has paid off, for there is an impressive crop of large velvet fruit. This is turned into peach melba in the restaurant. Dale came to Ston Easton House at the same time as Steve. Before this he drove trucks, but he was also involved with the local allotment association and he was a keen grower and shower of veg. I learnt my gardening from my granddad originally. At the interview I turned up with all of my certificates for first prizes from the local shows. That's what got me the job, really. This explains all of the gigantic vegetables that can be found in the kitchen garden. In one of the glasshouses, there are rows of leeks sheathed in black membrane. Cabbages the size of small shrubs can be found outside, and there are full round pumpkins still growing. Last year, Dale won the world record prize for the largest marrow, a very serious 150 pounds in weight. An umbrella is ready and waiting to provide shelter for this year's prize specimen. The downside of winning Biggest Marrow was that people from all around the world contacted me over the winter asking for seed. I didn't have any. Hotel Guests Inside the potting shed, Dale shows me the onions he has selected for seed. Originally, they were from Kelsai seed, 
but through selection of certain shapes, it has moved away from the original strain. The visitors who come down to the kitchen gardens love to look at the outsized veg and find it useful to chat with Dale and pick up some gardening tips. As well as providing the vegetables for the kitchen, the garden also supplies cut flowers to the hotel. There is an in-house florist who comes down to make a selection. I ask Dale and Steve about their plans for the future. Over the winter, they are going to look at rebuilding the 18th-century grotto and finish planting up the orchard. There's always plenty to do for the two gardeners at Ston Eastern House. Dale's top five gardening tips: one, watering. Don't water. Dale doesn't water his onions at all. It's always better to let plants find their own water rather than encouraging shallow roots by watering. Some vegetables, such as beans, may need watering when you put them in, but that's about settling the soil around them rather than giving them water. Two, feeding. Feed the soil before planting, not afterwards. Dale uses a variety of things for this, including. Eco Thrive Charge made from the droppings of organically reared beetles, Azos A Z O S, a nitrogen-fixing bacteria, Mycorrhizal Fungi T N C, Mycomax. Once the plants are growing, he doesn't feed the ground, but relies on foliar feeding. Shropshire seaweed is one of his favourite foliar feeds. Three, runner beans. Plant them with the sticks pointing outwards, not in the traditional ridge support or wigwam. With the sticks pointing outwards, this gives them more airflow, less congestion, and they are easier to pick. Four, squash and pumpkins. Bury the vines of the squash and pumpkins, even just scattering some soil over them. You can leave just the leaves showing. This stabilizes the plant and encourages the formation of a new root system that can draw more nutrients from the soil. Five, red hot chilies. Sow these in August and over winter on the window sill. By the spring, you will have viable plants ready to go. Lovely loofahs. Some people think that their bath time loofah is a sponge that must have come from the depths of the Mediterranean Sea. It comes as a surprise to them to find that the loofah is a subtropical species of the cucumber family. These are grown in the glasshouse at Ston Easton. Every year there is a loofah harvest day at the hotel, where you can learn how to cultivate your own loofahs and how to skin and deseed them prior to using them in the bath. For more on events, visit www.stoneeastern.co.uk/events. The gardens are also open as part of the NGS. Still to come, girl power on the plot. We reach for the sky with climbing beans. Have a taste of history with heritage carrots, and our desert island gardeners have the last word. But first, marrows. Grow marvelous marrows. Sow April to May. Harvest July to October. 
Marrow is one of those crops that will often produce a couple of massive fruits that you then wonder what on earth you can do with them. However, if grown a certain way and with the right varieties, you can produce more fruits which are smaller and more manageable in the kitchen. There is, of course, another way to grow them, and that is to aim for the biggest. How to sow. Sow the large seeds, one per nine centimetre or three and a half inch pot, in a multi-purpose compost, approximately 13 millimetres or half an inch deep. Sow the seed blunt end downwards. Water well and place in a propagator. If you don't have a propagator, a warm windowsill will do. Once the seedling is just seen breaking the surface of the compost, don't wait until it is fully emerged. Remove from the propagator or turn the propagator off. This may not be possible if you're waiting for more seedlings to emerge. If the seedling is left in the propagator, it will quickly elongate and be leggy and weak. You need to grow the seedling on in cooler temperatures. A greenhouse bench is fine, or a cooler, light conservatory or porch. Keep the plants growing, but steadily. If the plant produces roots from the base of the pot and is getting very top-heavy, transplant into a 13-centimetre or 5-inch pot and continue growing on in the greenhouse. Preparing the ground While your seedlings are growing, prepare the ground. Add some garden compost or well-rotted farmyard manure. Mix into the soil with a sprinkling of chicken manure pellets, grow more or Vitax Q4. Make a mound if you wish and plant into the top of this. Planting time. Wait until you're likely to be frost-free in your area. This may be late May, early June or much later depending on where you live. If you have a cloche, Cover the plant for a few days to prevent wind rocking the young plant and give it some warmth. Keep well watered if the weather is dry. Varieties There are several to choose from. Long Green Bush 2 produces lovely striped fruits which can reach a decent size. Other varieties you could try include Badger's Cross F1, which is a bush variety so it does not trail, making it ideal for a smaller plot. The fruits tend to be smaller too. Bush Baby is another bush variety producing small fruits. Ideal one for growing in growing bags or large pots. Ongoing Care If you are growing a whopper, follow the advice. If you want lots of smaller fruits which are better for the kitchen, encourage side shoots to form and nip the tip out of the main growing shoot once 1.5 to 3 metres or 5 to 10 foot long. This should encourage more side shoots and more flowers and more fruit which will be on the smaller side. Harvesting marrows. You can harvest while the fruits are relatively small or wait until they are larger. Try not to let one fruit get too big, or you may stop the plant producing more fruits. Growing a big one. To grow a large marrow, try some of these great top tips from Mr. Fothergill's own veg experts, Brian Talman and Carol Parsons.
Before planting, add some well-rotted manure or half a bucket of multi-purpose mixed in with the garden soil. Apply a seaweed-based feed, little and often. Keep the plant well watered but not over-watered to encourage deep rooting. When the plants start to flower, select a strong flower. This isn't always the first. Allow just one flower per plant for real large fruit to form. Tips from www.giantveg.co.uk The other important requirement is the right seed. Growers of giant veg keep their seed from their largest fruits and so the strain continues getting ever bigger. After planting out, cover with a cloche to give the plant a bit of protection for the first couple of weeks, then remove. Allow the main shoot to grow up to 4.5 metres or 15 foot in some cases and allow side shoots to grow off this but nip the growing tips out of these when they reach about 1 metre or 3 foot. At intervals along the main stem, at the point where a side shoot or leaf emerges, bury this part of the stem. This will encourage rooting here and so the plant will take up more water and nutrients to feed the growing fruit. Top tip. Leading growers of big marrows have tried root grow, the mycorrhizal fungi, that is natural in the soil. But this preparation concentrates it. Said to improve the root growth of plants of many species. Worth a try. Marvin the Marrow. Just for a bit of fun, we are sowing some seed and following its progress from seed to marrow. Follow the adventures of Marvin the Marrow on our website, www.kitchengarden.co.uk. Look out from the first week in April when he is being sown. Tasty Top Tips Stuffed Marrow There are lots of different recipes for stuffed marrow and different ways of stuffing the marrow. One way is to cut lengthways and scoop out the seeds and place on a baking tray. Alternatively, you could cut across the marrow into 5 centimetre or 2 inch slices and take out the centres. Place the rings on a baking tray. For the filling, place some chopped onion, pepper and garlic in a pan and cook until softened. Add a little tomato puree in a can of tinned tomatoes or chopped fresh tomatoes if you have them. A tin of kidney beans will bulk it out and a little chopped chilli pepper will add a bit of heat. Season with pepper and salt and a sprinkling of mixed herbs. Cover the marrow with foil and cook at 200 degrees Celsius, gas mark 6, until the marrow is soft. Liberally sprinkle with the cheese of your choice and put back in the oven for 15 minutes more. Other ways to cook. Drizzle cubes of marrow with oil. Sprinkle with herbs and salt and pepper and bake in the oven at 180 to 200 degrees Celsius for 50 minutes to an hour or until soft. Marrow can be turned into chutney, which is good if you have a massive marrow and can't use all the flesh. Add cubes of marrow to curries. Try marrow and roasted garlic soup. Mix diced marrow with small pasta such as ozzo and add to this grated halloumi and a little white sauce. Then top with breadcrumbs and cheese and bake. Marrow cake. Marrow rum. 
Check this out at www.cottagesmallholder.com forward slash farmers hyphen marrow hyphen rum hyphen recipe hyphen four nine two forward slash. Girl power on the plot. We had a lot of entries from ladies in our passionate plotter competition last year. Here are a handful of digging damsels, some of whom get occasional help from the men in their lives. Helen Bogle from Dumfries. Helen tends to her garden plot, which she has had for just over a year, and her husband helps her with the heavy lifting if moving things around. Merck, my dog, feels he helps. He is blind and deaf and does not help as much as he thinks. Helen grows a lot in containers, including peppers and strawberries. I have my blueberries with the different varieties for pollination in the same pot in acidic soil, which are doing so well and have given me a great harvest. I love seeing the bumblebees all over the garden, pollinating all my lovely plants for me, and going back to the nearby hive to make some delicious honey. Everything about it I love. I take in any extra veg to work for the other staff at the NHS to use for their families. I am the luckiest person to own such a garden and have the health to garden. Felicity Robinson from Colwell, Worcestershire. I look after the plot on my own with occasional help from my husband, who is looking forward to doing more when he retires. He is already reading KG. As I am self-employed, I have more flexibility to spend time in the veg garden in daylight hours. David is the undergardener now, but we shall soon be joint head gardeners with different areas of responsibility, no doubt, for harmonious relations. We have a separate area of raised beds to grow veg. When we moved to this garden, it was very neglected, and then we had builders in who trashed it even more. Historically, this part of the garden has been productive and is in the best position, so we brought it back into use. Old scaffold boards made raised beds, and we were blessed with a supply of black gold, well-rotted manure left by previous tenants with animals. How lucky to have such a good start! I have always grown veg or flowers from a child, and even through university in halls of residence. Growing for eating is so satisfying. I know that my produce is fresh, organic, and it is yards, not miles, from my kitchen. I'm also involved in enthusing children and young people to grow their own too, volunteering at my local village school and supporting teachers to deliver the core curriculum outdoors. It's uplifting to hear from young and older alike that they get such a pleasure and fulfilment when their seeds germinate, cuttings grow, and a selection of veg, herbs, and fruit are proudly taken home from school. Laura Jane Greenan from Hinkley, Leicestershire. Myself and my sister care for the front garden space, which is a mix of veg and flowering plants, and measures five by five meters. We've been growing our own veg since we were children, and were taught by our mother at a young age, and have continued on now into our thirties. Mum has recently passed away, and the garden is grown in her memory. The ethos of our front garden is a pick-your-own front wall of herbs and vegetables for the public. Do you grow any veg in containers? 
As we are in a rental property, our entire garden is grown in planters and large pots. We mostly use reclaimed items such as wooden veg crates and even dolly tubs to hold buckets full of holes. We find using a coir base as a mix for a compost helps moisture retention and regular feeding has kept them all very happy. Smaller containers we place on a tray to help water retention and help feed absorption. I've found it possible to grow anything in a pot and it really helps to utilise the small space and gives you the ability to move the plants around until you find a spot they're happy in. Why are you passionate about your plot? Gardening has always been a part of our lives, especially since the death of our mum. We feel it helps us to garden and bring life to things. We've had many kitchen gardens and allotments in the past. Unfortunately, we're still waiting for an allotment of our own, so we make the best of the small space that we have. Our main passions in gardening are wildlife conservation and to allow others to enjoy our garden. We have planted salad crops, tomatoes, cucumbers, herbs and chilli, along with raspberries and strawberries, all along the front wall of the garden, with signs inviting the public to help themselves, sort of a pick-your-own, to try unusual varieties as they're passing, or to take seed heads to grow in their own garden. It is greatly enjoyed by the people of the street, especially children, and hopefully will enthuse a new generation of gardeners. Paula Owen from London. Paula works her 20 metres by 4 metre plot with her husband, Tris. He's brilliant at the heavy duty work, has an eye for making things look beautiful, such as our wildlife pond, and has a passion for attracting wildlife to the plot. I decide what varieties to grow based on the crops we like to eat and growing conditions. I practice the no-dig method, and try to ensure we have something tasty growing all year round. I love pottering and come into my own come harvesting, storing and preserving time. I patiently waited 12 years for my allotment. It was a long time coming and we definitely make the most of it as we don't have a garden or balcony. You can often find us on our favourite bench, sat watching the birds in our wildlife area and enjoying an after-work barbecue. How long have you been growing veg? As a child in the 1980s, I was encouraged by my nan and next-door neighbour Uncle Doug to grow easy veg in the garden and what we would now call microgreens on the windowsill. I've had my allotment for three years and for a couple of years before that I created a container kitchen garden in the corner of our communal patio area. I'd often come home from work to find my neighbours had left various bits and bobs such as canes and string or sometimes the plants had been watered. It was then I realised my neighbours loved the little area as much as me. What variety of veg can you recommend? Tomato, Lozetto and outdoor blight-resistant cherry variety. Why are you passionate about your plot? I'm a celiac, so initially my priority was to grow and eat the freshest food possible to maximise the amount of nutrients I consume. This is still true today, but what I'm most passionate about is the mental well-being my plot gives me. Nurturing a tiny seed from packet to plate gives me such a sense of accomplishment and providing healthy produce for my family and friends has inspired them to have a go too. 
Working my little plot provides a sanctuary full of all my endeavours and a place to meet lots of new friends, like the fountains of knowledge, Ronnie and Maisie, who have been there for 40 years. It's nice to spend quality time with Hubby too, of course. Reach for the sky Climbing beans are among our most popular homegrown crops, and no wonder, as they have so much to offer, as KG editor Steve Ott explains. So April to June, harvest July to October. Why climbing beans? For their delicious, nutritious pods produced in profusion, and because they are great for freezing, there's little waste. Also, the upward growth gives them a small footprint on the plot. They're easy to grow and have lovely flowers that are great to look at and welcoming for pollinators. Preparing the ground. Beans do best in a sunny, sheltered spot, preferably south or west-facing, and where they won't shade other crops for too long each day, unless you want to use this to grow things, such as leafy salads, which might appreciate the cooling effect the shading provides. They like a fertile soil, which is neutral to alkaline, and for the best results, the soil should be enriched with plenty of organic matter in the winter. Lime, if necessary, six weeks after adding manure to bring the pH, lime level, to around pH 7. Build them strong. Plants are vigorous and heavy when in full crop, so make sure your supports are strong enough to take the strain. If your DIY skills are lacking, then a simple wigwam of hazel or bamboo canes will do the job well. Tender treats. Climbing beans won't tolerate frost. So direct into the soil below the supports so they emerge once the frosts are over, or better still in pots under cover for planting later. When sowing indoors, allow around six weeks between sowing and planting for the young plants to become established, but not to become so large that the tops start to twine around each other in the trays before they can safely be planted out. On the KG plot in the East Midlands, this means the middle to the end of April for planting out at the beginning of June. But you'll need to adjust accordingly. If you're unsure, ask a gardening friend. Planting out. Once your plants are established, acclimatise them to life outside by moving them out during the day and back in at night. After seven to ten days, they can be planted, but be prepared to cover with fleece if the weather turns cold. Position one plant at the base of each support, allowing about 20 centimetres or 8 inches between plants and 45 centimetres or 18 inches between rows. And if you have any spare plants, slot in a few extras in case of failures. Firm gently and tie the stems to the supports or strings to encourage them to twine. Water well. Growing on. Keep the water coming during any dry spells, and once plants begin to flower, feed every seven to ten days with a high potash tomato food. Encourage any wayward shoots to cling to the supports and pinch out the tips once they reach the top of the bean frame to encourage side shoots. Harvesting The key to great crops is to harvest regularly, as this will encourage plants to produce even more delicious pods. Remove them before they get too big and cut or pinch rather than pull pods from the plants as the latter may damage the thin stems. Pods will store for up to a week in the fridge, 
but are best eaten quickly or blanched and frozen without delay. If you only grow one, try Moonlight. It is widely available and brings the advantages of a runner or French bean cross, namely self-pollination and tender, stringless pods together with the beauty of white flowers and heavy, delicious crops. For climbing French beans, we would choose Cobra for sheer quality and yield and for drying beans. Buy a tongue or balotti type bean with beautiful red fleck pods and white splash seeds. The pods can be eaten fresh when young or the seeds allowed to mature and dried for use as haricot beans. Drying beans. Apart from fresh beans, of course, you can also grow beans for their seeds, which can be stored for long periods and are a wonderful addition to soups and stews. Any climbing bean seeds can be stored, but there are lots of lovely old heritage varieties bred for the purpose. They are grown in the same way as green beans, except that the pods are left on the vine until they turn brown, dry, and the first begin to split open. Once harvested and completely dry, store in airtight jars. Before you cook, dried beans should always be soaked, preferably overnight, and then rinse thoroughly before cooking to make them the more digestible. In the kitchen. We recommend steaming to keep in as much of the goodness as possible. However, the thinner pencil-podded fresh beans are just lovely cooked and served cold in a fresh salad or with tuna and cold potatoes, some homegrown peas or sweet corn. For a meal with real punch, mix with garlic and chili as a side dish. A taste of history with heritage carrots. Who needs bling bling when you can have pure carrot gold? This month, Rob Smith dazzles us with his favourite heritage varieties. The history of the humble carrot is shrouded in mystery, with rumours, facts, and old wives' tales all mixed into the story, involving kings, rebellions, night vision, war, and designer veg. It certainly is a veg worth shouting about. Wild carrots have been around since Roman times, with them mainly being used as an animal feed. Back then, the carrot was a thin, tough, fibrous root which forked badly and was hard to prepare. In fact, it was almost overlooked as food fit for human consumption and was relegated to animal fodder. Purple patch. It wasn't until the 900s that the carrot started to be developed in Afghanistan. At this time, the roots were mainly purple and spindly, yet very high in anthocyanin, which is reported to help fight cancer. Out of these purple carrots, a mutant yellow root evolved, still thin and tough, but with a more palatable taste to both humans and animals. This root then began to spread west towards Europe. Finally, making it there between the 11th and 14th century, and first recorded in the English language in 1530 from the Middle French word carotte. Still yellow and thin, it wasn't until the Dutch began to breed carrots that things began to change for the better. But this is where fact and fiction begin to intertwine. Food fit for animals. Rumor has it that the first orange carrot was bred in the Netherlands in the 17th century, 
At the time, the Dutch were revolting over their Spanish rulers, and the revolution looked set to fail. This was until a Dutch noble known as William the Silent gave his backing to the revolution, and the Dutch finally won, meaning independence to the Netherlands. Now, some of you may know William the Silent by another name. He was actually William of Orange. The story then tells of how the Dutch wanted to immortalize William for his help in overthrowing the Spanish, and so bred a true orange-rooted carrot in his name. Unfortunately, it looks as if the story was just that, thought up by an overzealous historian with time on his hands and a mind for adventure. That said, parts of the story are true. The Dutch did indeed develop an orange carrot from the thin yellow ones. It did become popular, but not to immortalise William of Orange, but because it was tastier than both yellow and purple carrots. Plus, it didn't stain hands and cookware like purple carrots can. And finally, probably the most damning bit of evidence to debunk the tale: orange carrots were developed in the Netherlands in the 16th, not 17th century. Now we finally have what we class as a garden carrot. A thick, juicy, sweet-tasting orange root. Yet still, the carrot wasn't very popular, as it was still thought of as an animal food. Seeing in the dark, it would actually take an act of war—not once, but twice—to make us realise how much we loved the humble root vegetable. This came in the guise of World War One and World War Two, when we had to eat what we could get our hands on during rationing. Alternatively, we could grow what we could, becoming innovative with how we cooked and used the veg we had. This is how the low-class carrot began to gain popularity with the nation and helped us dig for victory. The next step in increasing the popularity of the carrot came from a crafty bit of wartime propaganda. We all know the old wives' tale about eating carrots to see in the dark. Well. This was spread by the British government as the reason why our RAF bombers had suddenly become deadly accurate and could thwart the Germans. At home, people believed this too, with growers increasing the number of carrots they grew. Unfortunately, this was all a clever ploy to distract the Germans away from why our pilots had suddenly become able to see in the dark. It had nothing to do with carrots of any colour, and more to do with the invention of a new device to do with radio detection and ranging, commonly known as radar. If you have the space this year, why not give a little up for a row or two of heritage carrots, or just grow a few of the shorter varieties in containers? You'll be pleasantly surprised at the results, and each carrot will give you a taste of history. Until next month, good gardening. Belgium white. One of the oldest carrots around is a heritage white carrot called Belgium white. Originally from the 1600s, this carrot could have been one of those that was developed alongside the orange carrot. It isn't thin and tough like the first white carrots. It's thicker and juicier like the carrots we know today. The root protrudes slightly from the ground, and that exposed flesh turns green, giving it a unique bicolor to the root. It's also more resistant to carrot fly than other varieties. It's listed in Vil Morin's The Vegetable Garden, 1850, which states, 
there is hardly a farm on which it is not grown to some extent, proving that it's a good variety to still grow today. The only drawback to this variety is that it can't cope with frost, so it must be picked before the weather gets too bad. That said, it's still worth growing to add a bit of difference to your plate. After all, you can't buy white carrots. Available from the Heritage Seed Library. Autumn King, Autumn King, 1900, is more of what we would think of as a typical carrot, both in colour and shape. It is a main crop variety with a long 30 centimetre or 12 inch root and a nice orange flesh. This variety has been grown on the allotments near me for years and is still a firm favourite for many people. Available from www.seedaholic.com Saint Valerie. If you are more into showing carrots, Saint Valerie 1800s is the carrot for you. It forms perfectly uniform roots with an excellent colour and sweet flavour. Out of a row, you are bound to get five identical specimens to please any judge at the village show. Another main crop variety, this one can be sown from March and you'll be picking your heritage show winners by early August. Available from Sutton's. Early Nantes. Early Nantes, 1867, as the name suggests, is an early maturing variety that can be sown early. Originating in the market gardens of the Nantes district of Paris, it has a more typical shape and colour, yet this variety isn't pointed at the end. It's blunt-nosed, meaning it's round at the end benefiting from a lovely flavour and almost no hard internal core. Early Nantes is a favourite for an early, quick crop. Available from www.crocus.co.uk Rouge Sans A carrot that I haven't grown yet, but I'll be trying this year, is Rouge Sans, S-A-N-G, pre-1887. Being stout and smooth, the skin is a purple, almost violet colour, which goes almost to its yellow-orange core. Reported to grow to differing lengths and widths, this variety isn't one for the show, but one to enjoy growing and enjoy eating. I guess I'm drawn to grow vegetables which are a little different to the norm. Available from www.thomasetti.co.uk Oxheart Oxheart is another old French variety, 1882, sometimes called Guérande, G-U-E-R-A-N-D-E. Also from the Nantes neighbourhood of Paris, this carrot has the shape of its namesake, with the carrot being almost as wide as it is long. What I love about this carrot is the fact that it will grow almost anywhere. Due to its short length, it copes brilliantly with my heavy clay soil without cracking or forking. It also sticks out of the soil a little, meaning it's easier to dig up. For a carrot that grows 10 centimetres or 4 inches wide, it has surprisingly few leaves, so it can be planted closer together for an increased crop. Available from Dobies of Devon. Other heritage carrots to try. 1. Danvers Half Long, 1886. Plump, sweet roots. Does well on clay soil and stores well. Available from Marshalls. 2. James Scarlet Intermediate, 1870. 
a good old-fashioned tasting carrot. This used to be the most grown carrot in England at one time. Long pointed roots which grow vigorously. Available from D. T. Brown. Three. Chantenay Red Cord Two, nineteen twenty. You'll have probably seen Chantenay carrots in the supermarkets, as they know that this carrot is traditionally thought to be the best tasting carrot. Available from Dobies of Devon. Four, early scarlet horn, sixteen ten, originating in the town of Hoon, northern Holland. This old variety is short, stump-rooted, well-flavored, and has a crisp texture. Available from D. T. Brown. Five, Spanish black, unknown. This very old carrot has a stronger taste than modern-day carrots. The skin is deep purple with a white or yellow centre, containing high levels of anthocyanin. The colour can rub off on your hands, like when you peel beetroot. Extremely rare. Available from www.magicgardenseeds.co.uk. What is the Heritage Seed Library? The Heritage Seed Library (HSL) is a charitable initiative run by Garden Organic. Rare heritage varieties are saved and shared with members of Garden Organic and the Heritage Seed Library, who receive a catalogue of seeds every December. Each year, a different selection of varieties are chosen from the total collection of 800, and members are able to choose up to six to receive for free. For more information, visit www.gardenorganic.org.uk/hsl. Last word, with the KG website forum users, Desert Island Gardeners. Dig is the vegetable gardener's version of Desert Island Discs. You were on a cruise visiting exotic gardens when disaster happened, and you were washed up on an uninhabited island. Your island has a clay-rich soil and a small freshwater stream. The ground is quite hard once off the coral sand beach. You find a waterproof container washed up with you, containing only six packets of different vegetable seeds. Which six varieties would you wish them to be, and why? You are allowed one book. What would you choose? You will have to make your own hand tools. What would you attempt to make first? From Parsnip of Berkshire. The tool would be similar to an adze or Spanish hoe. I take it we have stones or rocks to use, no metal. With an adze, you could cultivate soil or shape timber. The seeds would be leeks, then French beans. You get a good return for your effort. Chard or spinach. Same reason for beans. The book would be one on building a boat, but I've built three already, so no need for that type of book. From Robbo of St Helens. What latitude are we at? Arctic, subarctic, temperate, subtropical, tropical, equatorial. From Peter near Stansted. Assume temperate. You have no idea where you've landed, so we'll only find out as seasons come and go. Your only options for tool making are stone, slate, or wood. There is lush vegetation on the island. None of you have found to date is edible. From Par Snip. 
If there is slate on the island, it must be off North Wales. From Robbo. Time to revert to early man mode then. Sticks as tools, hopefully a bit pointed from ripping them off the trees. Got a beach, so some sand to mix among the clay. And if there are plants, there may be leaf mould. Now, assuming I am starving and sick of fish, another good use for pointy sticks, seed choice might be things that could be micro or mini greens and then grow some onto full crops as well. Some beetroot, salad mix, peas, chives, some brassica, bit slower, but can take leaves only as they grow, and then some kind of fruit, maybe strawberries, as they renew themselves. From Westie of Muddiford, Dorset. If somewhere nice and warm, I would grow quinoa for a protein-rich grain, kale for its vitamins and calcium, beans to eat green and dried, B vitamins and protein, tomatoes for vitamin C, antioxidants, etc. Squash for variety in cooking and cantaloupe melon for its good range of nutrients. You can also save seeds for them all too for future crops. I'd use pointed sticks for digging or a large shell for scooping or attach something with an edge to the stick. There would have to be a fish-catching device and seaweed would be another veg option. The book would have to be Life on the Edge, The Coming of Age of Quantum Biology by Jim Al-Khalili and John Joe McFadden, which I keep starting but need quiet to concentrate. From Plum Pudding of South Yorkshire. Let's go for bulk and grow butternut squashes, broad beans and French beans will be starters for me, carrots for vitamin C too. From Tiger Burney, Angus by the Sea. Not sure about varieties, but veg would include courgettes, quick, heavy, cropper and long-growing season, French beans, can also dry, although maybe risky on conditions, lettuce, cut and come again, quick to grow, beetroot, can harvest the leaves, spring onions, quick, tasty, and the final one, kale, from Porty in Hampshire. So... The new mag has just arrived in a bottle on my island and I'll use the mountain of seaweed I have and make lazy beds to plant my sweet corn, beans and squashes. Fed up eating just fish. Managed to find plenty of shellfish, crabs and bird's eggs for protein. Could do with finding some fruit though. Not found any yet while scouting and don't want to get scurvy. From Tiger Burney of Angus by the Sea. What would you do on your desert island? Join the forum and let us know at www.kitchengarden.co.uk Thank you for listening to the audio edition of the April 2017 issue of Kitchen Garden magazine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 